It's who I am. It's who I am. I've seen many searching for answers far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers. Only you provide. You know just what we need before we say a word. You're a good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. To us. Love so undeniable. I, I can hardly speak. Peace so unexplainable. I I can hardly think as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still into love love your good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good. All right, friends, if we want to regather here. Lots of excitement in the back. We don't have a lot of announcements today, so I'll just go over them really briefly here. Uh, why don't we turn to our neighbor and just wish them Happy New Year's ahead of time. Happy New Year's, everyone. Um, next week, this is not here on the announcements, but next week we kind of want to do something 
a little bit out of the norm. I want to plant something. I want to plant plants. I know it sounds weird and strange, but it'll, it goes with the theme of this upcoming year, uh, a fresh start, what God has in store for us as a church, and what's more symbolic than planting something. And so if you guys are around, uh, I hope you can join us as we start off the new year uh, in, our, in our worship next week. Um, some prayer requests. We want to continue to pray for Pastor Sung of Christ Central as he, under, uh, as he continues to go through cancer. Let's pray that God will continue to sustain him and his family. Uh, we want to continue to pray for Bonnie, that her bones will be healing up. Uh, we we want to continue to pray for Eli, Eli as uh, his knee, he continues his kneehab, res, uh, kneehab, no, rehab for knees. Maybe we can, maybe that's a new thing, kneehab. But um, as he recovers from that, and then we want to continue to pray for Linda, her father, as he continues to recover from pneumonia. Um, if I could tag two others, is uh, my wife and uh, Millie, they're, they're kind of sick, and so you could just pray for their recovery as well. Uh, we turn to our scripture reading today, which comes from James chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. And when you guys find your places there, if you're able, can you stand with me for the reading of God's word? These are God's holy, inspired, and life-giving words. Let's give them our full attention today. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Amen. Thus goes the reading of God's word. May it continue to bless it for us as the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Friends, please be seated. Uh, we have a special treat. Um, we have a guest speaker coming. He is a Bay Area native, and I was able to connect with him through one of our uh, PCA uh, pastor meetings. Uh, really good dude. Um, really excited that he's here with us. Uh, Solomon, Pastor Solomon serves as a chaplain. Um, and so I feel like he's got a lot of insight uh, in terms of that kind of field of work. And so if you could help me to greet him with a warm welcome, that'd be quite wo wonderful here. I think in my name, they're all O's. Um, it's kind of funny though. Makes me, it actually makes me sound kind of Korean. <laughs> Good morning, New Life. I'm uh, really blessed to uh, be here with you today. Uh, I actually am not quite a Bay Area native, but I kind of am. Uh, I like to tell people I was born in the Bay, but raised in L.A. I was born at UCSF, where last year I served as uh, Pastor Amos alluded to as a hospital chaplain, and um, just glad to be here today, uh, glad to have been invited. You know, every, every time you get invited to preach at a church by another pastor, particularly at the end of the year, particularly the last Sunday of the year, it's always kind of like the pressure's on because it's like the end of the year, so you got to have one of those, it's time to close the year put that in the books, and look forward to the next year, right? It's time for change. It's, it's time for, you know, but that, that, that's not what this sermon is about. 
uh, it's not, um, for, for though, though change is important, I think change is something that, uh, depending on where you are in life, something that you, you would welcome or something that you don't welcome. Some of you may have had good years uh, this past year, or maybe some of you had bad years, struggles. Uh, maybe last year was kind of meh, so you're okay with the change part of it. And, you know, change is, 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 is a big part of life, right? Because uh, uh, there's so many songs that are written about the idea of change, um, whether it be change for, for the better or change for, for hope or, uh, you know, change because things have been so bad. Um, but like I said, this, is, this sermon is not about change. So much is it about, it is about living. It's, it's about living when life is hard and what that means for us because we need to have faith in a God who does not change, a God who does not waver. That's what this sermon's about. And we're going to take a look at that in our three points this morning. First, we talk about trials. You know, in, our, in, the, in the chapter, James talks a lot about trials. Secondly, trust where we need to place our trust. And third, the trek of life you know, and our, our journey as Christians. So again, the three points are trials, trust, and trek. So as we get into the first point, trials, it, it's good to kind of know some of the context and who James is. Now, James is the brother of Jesus. Uh, he is the son of Mary and Joseph. Right, so he has seen Jesus grow up. He has seen uh, his brother do his ministry thing. He's seen Jesus at the cross. And this is also James who was sitting at the Council of Elders in the book of Acts in chapters 11 and 15. So we know that this James is, is somebody who's kind of important to the first century church. He was somebody who had authority, who had kind of a voice, that people listen to him. He's, he's a person of, of great wisdom, as this book is known to be a book about wisdom. And here he opens up writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, which is a fancy way of saying that this is a book that's written for all of the church. Uh, the 12 tribes of Israel which is an analogy for us. And not just us as, as in Christians in, in, in this time, but for all time, past, present, and future. This is wisdom which is given and handed down to us because this is wisdom that we need because of the trials that we go through, the persecutions that the church has been through, uh, you know, whether you've been, they were arrested back in the day and tortured, thrown in a, in a pit with lions. Christians need hope. Christians need something when they face doubts and fears. And though we don't face the den of lions today, I, I, I do think that that is something that we need now. Because often we live a life in certain phases where things can get scary, where we may have doubts about who God is and if he is real at all. Sometimes we struggle. 
And that's why, verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The most unwelcome thing any Christian wants to hear when they're going through hard times. I thought it was funny, but, you know, <laughs> I have a quirky sense of humor, just to let you know. No, to, to go through hardship and hear, count it joy. It's like, no, no, I, I don't want to. It's hard. Why, why, why should I count it joy? James says, because of, you know, you'll learn to be steadfast. You will persevere. It will complete your faith. Pain, fear, and doubt don't sound joyous to me. I mean, if they sound joyous to you, maybe, you know, that's a different issue. Uh, you know, it's only, I, I think only a masochist would want to enjoy pain, fear, and suffering as such. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny, there's, so the 40th president's Ronald Reagan, there's, one time he was giving a speech, and he was talking about prayer in schools. And he said this very simple joke, so this is meant to be funny. Um, he said that so long, there are, so long as there are tests, there will be prayers in school. Uh, every time we face trials and fears, the things that are, are overwhelming to us, right, existentially or practically speaking, right, we become overwhelmed. We, we look for somewhere else for help. We need aid. So why does James say count it joy? Because he's trying to encourage us to process our faith. He's trying to encourage us to, to work and, and grow. You know, I will totally confess to you, I, I totally dislike platitudes. I hate platitudes. There's like the worst thing to me as a Christian, especially as a minister. Last thing I need to hear when I'm going through hardship is that God's got you. God will bring you through. If you're single, maybe you hate the words, God will bring that somebody to you. I know it. Or perhaps you've heard this one, God will never give you more than you could ever handle which is actually untrue. It's actually quite the opposite, scripturally speaking. God often gives us more than we can handle, and that's important for us to embrace. I think that's the point of what James is trying to tell us, because we've got to go through these things on this side of eternity. I mean, nobody, look, it's not an easy thing to swallow, right? I, I'll, I'll take that. Nobody ever says in life, I want to get married so that I can fight with my spouse. <laughs> Nobody ever says, I want to get married so that I can get divorced. I want, to, I want to get married so I can have difficulty having children. I want to get, you know, I want to have kids so that I can fight with them. When have you ever heard people say that? Never. Right? Or if you're a kid, you know, when have you ever thought in your life, that you ever wanted to fight with your parents. 
Like, these aren't things that we want. We never ask for suffering. We never ask for pain. We never ask to hate our careers. We never ask to be abused. We never ask to experience tragedy or sickness or loneliness, which is a huge problem today. We never ask to be abandoned. We never ask to struggle with our mental health. These are things that happen. These are things that happen to us in the moment. These are struggles that we all go through. And I will attest to this. None of us ask for these things because I've been in the hospital for the last couple of years talking to patients. I've seen thousands of people, thousands. None of them have ever said those things to me that they want these sufferings. So I know, we never ask for these things. And the real issue behind our existential crises and why we kind of are all over the place is it's because of doubt. At times we doubt God. At times in our suffering we ask, why God? Where is the help? Where do I find you? Are you there, God? Why, why do we seek him out? Because we seek out control. We seek out control. We seek out power in the hands of somebody who has control when we don't. I mean, I think, I think it's interesting that James, in, in his talk about persevering and going through trials and telling us if we lack wisdom to go to God, he also talks about this idea of a double-minded person. And I think this is one of the most interesting and practical things about us as people, right? What does it mean to be a double-minded person? A double-minded person is somebody who, when they're going through their stuff, right, who is listening to advice. And they're going, yeah, yeah, I'm all, totally, I, I, yeah, I get that. Yeah, I should do that. And then they turn right around and they do the opposite thing. Because they're doing what they think is right in their own eyes because they want to have control. I, I think all of us are like that on some level. And we're all stubborn. We all struggle with power. We all struggle with control. We all struggle with doubt sometime in our life. I think that's an important thing to confess. And that's why we need something to trust. We need a foundation. We need a rock. Which brings us to our second point. You know, trust is something that you hear is, is, is often earned. Right? You've got to prove to me that I can trust you. That's how I know that when you call me to ask me to come preach, I'm going to show up on time, which you had no idea, so that was totally by faith. Thank you. <laughs> now you know. <laughs> but trust is earned in today's society. And what do we in society trust in the most? <laughs> I think uh, verse 9 and 10 kind of tell us, as James says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Now, you take those two verses, you take the opposite of what James is saying there. It's money, right? We, money and power are things that we trust. 
so much. And yet James is saying the opposite, to go and boast in being lowly. Boast in being lowly. That's, that's counterintuitive. I'll prove it to you. How many of you know how much the Powerball is right now? It's like over 700-something million. How many of you have ever dreamed of hitting the lotto? Now, all your hands should be up right now. You're all liars. And why do we dream of hitting the lotto? Because we want to live that life where we don't have to worry about needing money, needing power, needing control. <laughs> See, that's how we know. And that's why this is so hard for us to kind of swallow, to be poor and lowly is <laughs> not something that we dream of going to. It's a false hope. Why? Because it, it decays. Did you know that most people who hit the lotto, the big dream that we all have had at one point in time, most of them go broke. So much for the dream. It just, poof, gone. Even the mountains will wither away over time. Even the beasts of the sea and the air and the land, they'll all die. Even our cell phones decay. How many of you guys have ever replaced a cell phone within three, five years? It's called planned obsolescence. Everything decays. Everything decays. And that's why it's, it's so interesting here when, when, when James says, for the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. You know, verse 11, James is using this illustration of the sun as kind of a way to call back to another book in the Bible in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes. In the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a phrase that's used a lot. It's called under the sun. Everything under the sun, right? Everything is under the sun. Why? Because the sun is harsh. It causes things to wither away and dry up and die. We're trapped under the sun. That's where we live. This is life as we know it. Which drives us to the question, is God worthy of our trust? Is God worthy of our trust if life is so hard? Why does he tell us to go to God for wisdom? Why does he tell us that steadfastness in verse 12, will lead to a crown. I think this is something that we must learn to reconcile as Christians over and over again. Why trust in God? Because he tells us he is the father of lights. I mean, it's such a packed phrase, right? Because father implies 
kind of a close relationship, but also one with authority. Father of lights being one who is, you know, has no shadow of turning in him, meaning he's thoroughly always consistent, always there, always shining a light. I, in some ways, in this instance, when we think of the relationship of the sun and lights, I mean, we, God may as well be the sun. For some of us, that's how it feels. But there is no shadow of turning in him. And when we think of that, we think of the history. The history that exists with our God. Even when Adam and Eve sinned and God brought down judgment upon humanity and, and us, he clothed them with the sheep of animals. The skin of another. Even when Abraham was told to move across the continent from Ur to go and settle in the promised land, he did it. He had to learn trust in God, bringing along his wife, waiting so long to have children. Noah had to learn to trust God building an ark, filling it with animals. Moses, David. I mean, whether it be the analogy of a seed in the Old Testament or a promise of children or hope in the future for peace, love, forgiveness, justice, these are things that God has promised. And he fulfilled. He fulfilled through Jesus. You know, James says, blessed is the man who is steadfast, because they will earn the, the crown, crown of life. You know, as we wrestle through these verses, I mean, I don't know how, much, how many of us are truly that steadfast. And the most steadfast one out of all of us is Jesus. The Son of God. The one who fulfills all the promises. Jesus who bathed in our sin. Who took on our shame on the cross. Who suffered so that he could secure a reward for us. I mean, there's a certain comfort and trust in that. You know, there's this really old cheesy movie from the 1980s. I think it's the 1980s. It's called Her Alibi. I don't presume that any of you know it because it was a terrible movie starring Tom Selleck as a mystery writer. And he's playing this mystery writer who writes really predictable novels. And this just bothers him like no other. So he goes off and, and tries to write his ultimate mystery novel where nobody could guess the end within the first few chapters. So he goes through this whole movie, comes through all these different events, and it comes to the end, and I'm going to spoil it for you because it's, it's been about time if you ever watch that movie. Uh, he's talking with his editor, 
And the editor makes a comment. He's like, I mean, it's a great book. I, I kind of miss the old style of writing, though, that you had. It's like, what are you talking about? It's terrible. Like, you, people figured it out within the first few chapters. And he, the guy's like, yeah, that's what's so great about it. It's so comforting to know how it ends before you get there. That's why we can trust in God. Because he secured the end for us. You see, the price that Jesus paid on the cross, the price that he paid with his life in obedience, the price that he has paid, and the receipt that he's given us through resurrection, that is the evidence that we need to look at and trust. That's what pulls us through. That's our receipt. That brings us to our last point. So now, now all of you are probably like, okay, well, he's got to Christ, so now it's the home stretch, right? <laughs> What's the application? What's, where's this going? And rightfully so. Like, what are we supposed to do with this knowledge now? How is this wisdom supposed to work in our lives? How is it supposed to change us in the way that we live? Well, here, I mean, following our verses, James starts off with saying, knowing this, then, and he says to be slow to anger, quick to hear, slow to speak. And starts giving us all these in different instructions and how to be steadfast. And he says, be doers of the word, verse 22, not just hearers, lest we deceive ourselves. Now, I can just sit here and talk about all the different little things of instruction. It's going to be like another sermon or so. Uh, I'm not going to put you through that. You could talk to Pastor Amos about that. Right? It's very rich in practical things. But what I want to give you is the reason why it's so important and to think about why James gives you these practical things to follow. Because they're not easy pills. And it's not just instruction. It's instruction with purpose. And the purpose is simply put, because we as Christians grow through feedback from God. We grow through feedback from God. What do we know about being a Christian except that which we know from God? whether it be God speaking through other people or God speaking through his word. And what James is encouraging us to do is think of these things as making space. Making space for God to change us. The Christian life is about following that beacon of light through the darkness. Light itself reveals. Light penetrates. There is no hiding in the light. And it sounds scary, and it should be in some ways, but because of Jesus, we don't need to worry about judgment. We need to embrace 
the warmth that comes from it. The warmth and security. Let those things burn our doubts away. We are the first fruits of the cross. Now I want to end with an illustration just to get us thinking about what that means in our, in our security. You know, one, one, one time I was in the hospital working, I was visiting a patient. They were going through, uh, they were getting ready for surgery. And their whole family was there. It was, it was pretty scary. It was one of those kind of life-transforming kind of surgeries where you may or may not live on. And even if you do live on, it may change your life forever in the way that you live. And I was sitting there with this, this patient for about an hour, and they were saying, you know, we were just talking about what they, what they consider living. And uh, he was saying, like, oh, you know, I like to work with my hands. I like to do these hobbies. I like to work with these animals. I'm afraid that I'm going to lose those things. And, you know, this patient was a Christian, uh, and then, you know, an elder in his church involved. So I was, I was talking with him, and I was saying, like, well, yeah, but you'll still live. A life, life may change. You may have to relearn. Maybe it means something different. Maybe I don't, you don't know about your hands, but you know that you have family that love you. You know that if you live, that you'll be surrounded by them. You know that they will care for you and love you because obviously they're here with you right now. He says, this I know. I don't fear death. I don't fear death. I know Jesus has that for me. As a man advanced in his years, and then, like, he knows the scripture. And I said, okay, you're not afraid of dying. So what are you really afraid of? He paused from looking at me and then he looked right over to his children. And he just said, I don't know what's going to happen to them. I don't know what's going to happen to them. In that moment, his expression completely changed. So then I just started asking him, Do you believe that God is still good to you? He said, yes. He's everything. Has God done a work in your family? Yes, they all believe in Jesus. They all love him. Is God faithful? Always. And I looked him straight in the eyes and I asked him this final question. What is there to worry? If it is God who will take care of your family. He started crying. Even as we get older, even as we face new challenges, even as we may even think that we know everything there is to know about God and trust in Him, there are always these new challenges that come and opportunities for us to grow as Christians whether God is calling you to be there in that moment to be with somebody and it's scary to ask those questions 
because it's kind of like you don't want to talk about dying, you want to talk about living, right? But you got to ask this, right? Or maybe you're on the other side. You're like, I have no idea what's going to happen, and I'm so scared. These trials that we experience in life, brothers and sisters, we endure not because we know what to do or because we have the power. We endure because we need to have trust in the one who does have power. Maybe we don't know exactly how that works out and what that looks like in that moment. But this is part of our walk as Christians. For we know that at the end, the worst thing that could happen to us is the best thing that could ever happen to us. For we will be with Jesus forever in eternity. Let's pray. Father God, it is so difficult to live. Um, it's so difficult to struggle with our doubts. It's so difficult to wrestle with you. But God, you are a God who fulfills his promises, the living God, a God who gives us grace and mercy, a God who secures us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And Father, we want to trust you even more. Help us, Lord, as we prepare ourselves for the changes that will come and the changes that have happened. We pray that you would help us work through them so that we may grow and learn to trust you more. Bless us in a changing world, for you are the unchanging God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, in light of that word that we just received, want to respond with our gifts and offerings. If you want to give, you can give online or there's a physical offering box in the back. But the most important part for us is to be able to respond with our hearts, um, knowing that the Father, who is like the Son, gives us every good gift, um, and ultimately in Christ. Uh, with this in mind, let's respond with also a, a song of praise. stories of one they think you're alive but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are who you are and I'm loved by you it's who I am it's who I am it's who I am I've 
searching for answers far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers, only you provide, as you know just what we need before we say a word, you're a good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are who you are and I'm loved by you it's who I am it's who I am it's who I am you are perfect in all of your ways you are perfect in all of your ways you are perfect in all of your ways to who Love so undeniable, I, I can hardly speak. Peace so unexplainable, I, I can hardly think as you call me. Deeper still as you call me. Deeper still as you call me. Deeper still into love, love. You're good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. Who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. As we're reminded that in life we're given plenty of trials, more than we will like to actually have in our lives, we turn to a time of communion as a reminder that God doesn't just leave us with platitudes of just good tidings and hopes, but he gives us a platter, a meal, to remind us that he is still with us in it all, that he feeds us, sustains us. And this is what the bread and the wine is a reminder of, that ultimately, at the end of all things, there truly is a good, good Father over us that welcomes us, us to his table to dine and eat with him. Who can participate in this meal? If you're someone who believes what Jesus has done for you, has died the death you should have died, but also lived a life that you should have lived, 